0: Good morning. We welcome, uh, welcome to all of you here, and we welcome Reverend Al- Elaine Bomford
1: to our pulpit this morning. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here with you all this morning. Our opening words are by Philip Appelman, Karma, Dharma, Pudding, and Pie. Oh, karma, dharma, pudding and pie, give me a break before I die. Grant me wisdom, will, and wit, purity, probity, pluck, and grit. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, kind, give me great abs and a steel-trap mind. And forgive, ye gods, some humble advice. These little blessings would suffice to beget an earthly paradise. Make the bad people good and the good people nice. And before our world goes over the brink, teach the believers how to think. (laughs) Thank you.
0: I invite you to join in our covenant while our Fuse singers light the chalice this morning. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer, (laughs) to dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve humanity and fellowship, to respect the nurturing power within all of us. Thus do we covenant.
2: I'd like to invite any kids who want to come up and see the pictures in this story and hear the story and see the story to just come up and take a seat right on the steps here. Like, you know, oh, let's see if this works. Does this work okay? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, too close. Okay. All right. Here, guys, do you want to um, come right down here? I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Any other kids? It'll be fun. Oh, the little baby wants to come. Yeah. Okay. So this was a story that I was read when I was a kid. And I think it goes with the theme of um, not taking yourself too seriously. Um, Gosh, I'm not sure exactly what the title is, actually. I have a copy of the book. Forget Me me Not. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Is this? That's quite funny, isn't it? I <laughs> why anyway, this is. Does everyone else hear a buzz?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's okay. All right. Okay. Sydney's in a dreadful state. Unless he hurries, he'll be late. He's off to visit cousin Joe. There's so much to remember, though so you see he's going for a trip we're seeing a picture of Sydney walking down the stairs in his PJs, Sydney's a lion and he's you see his rain boots and binocular case he's like that I'll show him. the presents wrapped the cards been done a fishing rod, that might be fun binoculars to see the view a towel could be useful too where do you think he's going? Fishing. Fishing. Towel. To the beach. To the beach. Raincoat, hat, umbrella, snack, thermos, camera, key, and pack. He's made a list of everything, but which does he forget to bring? Uh Do you you see? We'll come back to that page. Sydney's bus comes soon along. He takes a seat, but something's wrong. Jumping up, he cries, Oh dear, my umbrella isn't here. We see that he left his umbrella uh, on the lamppost. See it on the lamppost there? Mm-hmm. But he still has a lot of other stuff. Off he gets to catch his train. Look, it's just begun to rain. He goes to put his raincoat on. Now, where on earth could that have gone? We're seeing the bus drive away, and it's, it's left on the back seat of the bus. Do you see it? <coughs> Never mind, he's caught the train. Time to check his list again. Oh no, he sighs, it can't be true. I've lost my brand new thermos, too. The thermos, let's see if we can see this thermos. Do you see this thermos there? Mm. Oh, it's on the bench. Fields and farmyards rattle past. Here is Sydney's stop at last. The sun, he cries, just look at that. Did I forget to bring my hat? <laughs> Where's his hat? Oh, I don't see, uh... I think I see it. think You think uh, you see top? it? Oh, is it on the top right there, through the window? Oh, yes, I see oh. it right there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sydney's only halfway there. Now he has an hour to spare. Time to fish, he thinks. That's odd, I'm sure I brought my fishing rod. Oh, that's right. <laughs> there it is, it's sitting in the middle of the street on a mm, trash can, a post, yeah. Still, he says, what's done is done. I think I'll picnic in the sun. Just a minute though, how weird, my snack has disappeared. <gasps> Uh, where's his snap? Oh, I see it by the stairs. By the stairs there. (laughs) Time to go and get the boat. In he climbs and off they float. I need a towel, the seat's all wet. Now did I have one? I forget. Where's his, oh, right on the beach. Not doing a lot of good right there. Joe, he calls, the perfect day. I spotted you from miles away with my binoculars, you know. uh What binoculars, says Joe? In there. Yeah, they're in the boat. So he did see him with his binoculars and then promptly left them in the boat. I've lost a few things on the way, but not this gift, I'm glad to say. Happy birthday, it's a cake. But where's the card, for goodness sake? Uh-uh. Do you see the card? Yep. the wind has flown it away (laughs) they're on top of a lighthouse at this point I should have let you all know that Sorry. bye he says at last but no a photo just before I go hold on my camera isn't here Uh ah well smiles Joe see you next year oh it's hanging on the top (laughs) railing of the of the lighthouse where they were as he leaves the rock behind, there's a doubt in Sydney's mind. Something else I had with me. Let me think, what could it be? Do you see on the land of the lamppost right there? Joe's holding something, flailing his arms after Sydney. He's holding his, I don't know if you can see it. What is He's holding his backpack. Probably, probably has lots of important stuff in it home late that night his neighbors call out you all right trip go well enjoy the sea fine he says but where's my key <laughs> and we'll go back to this first page here when we saw Sydney leave his house see where his key is do you see the key Can I see it? it's right there Oh. Where is it? It's in the house. It's in the house. He left it in the house right before he left. Oh poor Sydney. Right,
1: thanks,
2: for, thanks for being up here guys. Um, We're gonna sing our children out to, out to Young church. Um, a little just organizational thing before we do that. Whoops is, um, oh, is um, all the kids and teachers could you meet me in the parish hall so don't head downstairs.
1: Our readings this morning are from this book, Archie and Mehitabel, by Don Marquis. Is anyone familiar with uh, Archie and Mahitabel? Oh, good. Well, then you'll know uh, it's a best beloved book for me. And these columns were originally written in 1912. The first one appeared in 1912 in the New York Sun. This is a little bit of a longish reading, but I hope you'll enjoy it and is this too loud? Okay, good. The circumstances of Archie, Archie the Cockroach's first appearance are narrated in the following extract from the Sundial column of the New York Sun. Dobbs Ferry possesses a rat which slips out of his lair at night and runs a typewriting machine in a garage. Unfortunately, he has always been interrupted by the watchman before he could produce a complete story. It was at first thought that the power which made the typewriter run was a ghost instead of a rat. It is an era of belief in communications from the spirit land. And since this matter had been reported in the public prints and seriously received, we are no longer afraid of being ridiculed, and we do not mind making a statement of something that happened to our own typewriter only a couple of weeks ago. We came into our room earlier than usual in the morning and discovered a gigantic cockroach jumping about upon the keys. He did not see us, and we watched him. He would climb painfully upon the framework of the machine and cast himself with all his force upon a key, head downward, and his weight and the impact of the blow were just sufficient to operate the machine, one slow letter after another." He could not work the capital letters and he had a great deal of difficulty operating the mechanism that shifts the paper so that a fresh line might be started. We never saw a cockroach work so hard or perspire so freely in all our lives. (laughs) After about an hour of this frightfully difficult literary labor, he fell to the floor exhausted and we saw him creep feebly into a nest of the poems which are always there in profusion. Congratulating ourselves that we'd left a sheet of paper in the machine the night before so that all of this work had not been in vain, we made an examination, and this is what we found. Expression is the need of my soul. I was once a free verse poet, but I died and my soul went into the body of a cockroach. It has given me a new outlook on life. I see things from the underside now. Thank you for the apple peelings in the waste paper basket, but your paste is getting so stale I can't eat it. There's a cat here called Mahitabel, and I wish you would have, remo- would have her removed. She nearly ate me the other night. Why don't she catch rats? That's what she's supposed to be for. There's a rat here she should get without delay. Most of these rats here are just rats, but this rat is like me. He has a human soul in him. He used to be a poet himself. Night after night, I have written poetry for you on your typewriter, and this big brute of a rat who used to be a poet comes out of his hole when it is done and reads it and sniffs at it. He's jealous of my poetry. He used to make fun of it when we were both human. He was a punk poet himself. And after he's read it, he sneers, and then he eats it. I wish you would have Mahitabel kill that rat or get a cat that is onto her job, and I will write you a series of poems showing you how things look to a cockroach. That rat's name is Freddy. The next time Freddy dies, I hope he won't be a rat, but something smaller. I hope I will be a rat in the next transmigration, and Freddy a cockroach. I will teach him to sneer at my poetry then. Don't you ever eat any sandwiches in your office? I haven't had a crumb of bread for I don't know how long, or a piece of ham or anything but apple pairings and paste. Leave a piece of paper in your machine every night. You can call me Archie. Here's one of Archie's leavings in the typewriter. Warty Bliggins the Toad. I met a toad the other day by the name of Warty Bliggins. He was sitting under a toadstool, feeling contented. He explained that when the cosmos was created, that toadstool was especially planned for his personal shelter from sun and rain, thought out and prepared for him. "'Do not tell me,' said Warty Bliggins, "'that there is not a purpose in the universe. The thought is blasphemy.' A little more conversation revealed that Warty Bliggins considers himself to be the center of the universe." The earth exists to grow toadstools for him to sit under, the sun to give him light by day and the moon, and wheeling constellations to make beautiful the night for the sake of Warty Bliggins. To what act of yours do you impute this interest on the part of the creator of the universe, I asked him. Why is it that you are so greatly favored? Ask rather, said Warty Bliggins, what the universe has done to deserve me. If I were a human being, I would not laugh too complacently at poor warty bliggins, for similar absurdities have only too often lodged in the crinkles of the human cerebrum. And one more, can you handle one more? Okay, this is the lesson of the moth. I was talking to a moth the other evening. He was trying to break into an electric light bulb and fry himself on the wires. "'Why do you fellows pull this stunt?' I asked him. "'Because it is the conventional thing for moths? "'Or why? If that had been an uncovered candle instead of an electric light bulb, "'you would now be a small, sightly, unsightly cinder. "'Have you no sense?' Plenty of it, he answered, but at times we get tired of using it. We get bored with the routine and crave beauty and excitement. Fire is beautiful and we know that if we get too close it will kill us, but what does that matter? It is better to be happy for a moment and be burned up with beauty than to live a long time and be bored all the while. So we wad all our life up into one little roll and then we shoot the roll. That is what life is for. It is better to be a part of beauty for one instant and then cease to exist than to exist forever and never be a part of beauty. Our attitude toward life is easy come, easy go. We are like human beings used to be before they became too civilized to enjoy themselves. (laughs) And before I could argue him out of his philosophy, he went and immolated himself on a cigar lighter. (laughs) I do not agree with him. Myself, I would rather have half the happiness and twice the longevity. But at the same time, I wish that there was something I wanted as badly as he wanted to fry himself. Archie. Here in the readings. This is your opportunity in the service to share your joys and your sorrows. And I invite you to do that now. And if you would like to light a candle, let's see, here. You'll do that during oh, you light the candle during the offertory. Boy, it's a good thing. You have to be a little easygoing when you have these guest ministers. We don't really know what's going on. <laughs> Now, do you all like to come up to the front for your joys and sorrows, or would you like me to bring the microphone to you? That's a loaded question. Go around. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to start out to say I'm happy to see familiar faces from Ferry Beach here. You're not so far from Ferry Beach. I have to schlep across the state, but I imagine there are quite a few of us here for whom that's a... Dear place. So that's a real joy for me. Anyone have a joy or sorrow they'd like to share?
0: My joy is that yesterday there was a March for Racial Unity in Exeter. Between 60 and 70 people participated. It was an ecumenical effort. I counted about 14 people from this congregation participating, including several children. And we had interesting historical information about racial history in this town, which Barbara Rincunas prepared for us. And then we had some uh, statistics and facts about current racial problems in our country, which Kendra had a part in um, creating, as far as I know. Racial unity teams will continue to meet. We, per- we ask you, if you're interested, to uh, check out on the website, and we'll probably have announcements about future activity in the EFEWS.
3: I have a, a sorrow and a joy that are all wrapped up together and... Mostly a big concern. Um, last weekend, I think it was last weekend, four people died on the seacoast from an overdose of drugs. This comes home to me especially because I have a grandson who overdosed on drugs twice and was, by some miracle, his life was saved. Um, my joy is that we succeeded before going on vacation in one very frantic week in getting him into a very good rehab. Uh, in Franklin, New Hampshire, and he seems to be doing very well. Um, But I'm concerned because I know it's going to be a long haul. He's going to be living with us to get out of his past environment. We don't know for how long. Um, But I'm concerned for our community in general. I don't think people realize the extent of the problem. It's massive in this state more than in many other states. Anyone else? Hi, I'm Rich Coleman. I just want to uh, express a joy here. We've got a very young lady, I guess, right, with us this morning. She is beautiful, and it's such a joy to have her with us and have the Allen family here. My goal is to be as well-behaved as she is.
1: Thank you. Anyone else? Let us take some time to join in a meditation. Spirit of life, we thank you for this beautiful day and this beautiful sanctuary and sense of acceptance and joy here in this sanctuary. May all of us have our worries and our concerns lifted up in a sense that we are all held in a wider spirit of compassion. May each of us be refreshed. We pray for peace amongst ourselves and in this community and for the strength to hold the hope of peace in this world alight. We lift up our thoughts to you now in silence. Blessed be. Take a deep cleansing breath and switch gears a little bit. We're going into a sermon on humor. (laughs) Some time ago, as I was reading through a batch of newsletters from churches, I came across this cryptic line in a minister's column. I'd like to apologize for my accident in the pulpit last week and to thank you for your understanding. There was no further explanation given concerning the nature of the accident in the pulpit. Someone when I went to get a glass of water anticipated one possibility which was I could spill the water and have a small electrical fire Maybe the uh, minister tripped, or maybe it was just a bad sermon. <laughs> in his book, Still Here, Baba Ram Das sketched the story of an accident in a similar setting. He said, A few years back, I was invited to speak to an audience of several thousand people in Denver. I sat in the front row of the hall as the host sang my praises and when it came time for me to take the stage rather than climb the steps like most sixty-three-year-olds would, my ego, inflated from too much praise, urged me to leap from the floor to the podium. The next thing I knew, I was flat on my face in front of this crowd, my leg mangled and bleeding. Rather than attend to my needs, I lectured for the next hour with blood dripping down my sock, too embarrassed to admit that I was ready to pass out. For my part, I I recall a morning when I was preaching at the uh, Hopedale, Massachusetts Unitarian Universalist Congregation. I'd never been to this church before, and I was humming along with the sermon when I took took a step back from the pulpit and I realized there was nothing underneath my foot. Just thin air. In a flash and too late I realized that their regular minister who was kind of on the short side had put a block on the floor to raise herself open the pulpit but that this block wasn't fixed to the floor and I had slid it out from underneath myself. So. I just stepped down and all at once I was six inches shorter and I was mid-sentence and I didn't even stop. I didn't have the wherewithal to acknowledge this sort of obvious funny little thing that had happened. So one part of me was rattling on with the sermon and the other part of me was laughing at myself. I had had a first-hand lesson in how precarious this profession is That experience has become an enduring metaphor for me. I think I know what I'm doing. I'm following the script that I have prepared and everything is under control. If ever anybody tells you that, that's like a red flag for me. They say, everything's under control. I'm looking around to see what's going to fly off. So then, all at once, the bottom falls out and I realize I'm not quite as big as I had imagined. Who of us hasn't stepped confidently into midair or been taken down a peg or performed a macho leap of body or intellect and fallen flat or had some kind of an accident in the pulpit or other public venue which robbed you of all semblance of control? My beloved music teacher back in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Margaret Croce, used to tell me, no matter what happens, keep smiling. I once sang the tune, Christmas Time is Here, with four friends for a sizable audience at a holiday concert. Do you all know this Vince Giraldi tune, Christmas Time is Here? Well, we were singing it in five part harmony, a cappella, which is without instrumental accompaniment, as you probably know, and someone, I think it was the bass, hit a wrong note and then I hit a wrong interval and from there on it was just like dominoes. The result was we were singing this song in at least four different keys. (laughs) So we looked at each other and we knew there was no way to rescue it. We kept going, we kept smiling, and our most difficult challenge in fact was to keep from laughing. And afterwards, a friend of mine, a blues musician, came up to me and he said, You know, Elaine, that was a very modern piece you all sang. I've never heard harmonies like that before. So whether the joke is shared by everyone or by those in the know or is known only to you, that still small voice inside laughing away so often helps us to endure disharmonies, wipeouts, and takedowns with equanimity. According to Jimmy Carr and Lucy Greaves in their book Only Joking, The generally accepted evolutionary explanation for the development of laughter argues that it evolved from a threat response or warning. Early man, as they say, early human beings, the theory goes, thought he saw a woolly mammoth charging across the tundra. He bared his teeth, narrowed his eyes, and prepared to scream the alarm to the rest of the tribe and suddenly the woolly mammoth slipped and fell down, out cold. This sort of accident was sadly all too common during the Ice Age. (laughs) Early man's grimace of fear softened into a wide smile, and his scream of alarm became a hearty laugh as he ran to fetch his mammoth disemboweling hook and his brother's. In other words, laughter is a release of tension on discovering that a perceived threat is not, in fact, a threat at all. Certainly there are threats in life that are difficult to laugh away. It all depends, I think, on whether we can separate ourselves from the part within us that is threatened. The ego is an easy target for fear, anger, and emotional pain. Humor can break into that tension with spontaneous power, providing new perspective, showing us we are not only our egos, we are something more, giving us opportunity to disengage from fear or anger. Have you ever been so angry at another person that you could turn red in the face, and something happens in the middle of your argument that makes you both laugh? Has that ever happened to you? I think of a furious exchange with my daughter, Johanna. She's now grown, but these were in those stormy early teen years. Yes, we did survive them. But in the middle of this fight, she blurted out at me, Monitor your own existence. (laughs) This was so right on. Her admonition stopped us both in our tracks and we had to laugh. Breathing room opened up. We transformed into two people who could laugh at ourselves and love each other. We were so much more than that mother-daughter ego conflict that had been in heated battle moments before. So monitor your own existence lives on as a family punchline, aptly employed on numerous occasions. As many of you have probably witnessed, humor often breaks the tension even in the face of death. One exemplary story stays close to my heart. I had a dear friend named Todd Jacobs. We knew each other through our high school and college years and on into adulthood. In the late 1970s, along with so many others before we knew the risks, Todd contracted the HIV virus. During the years before AIDS took hold in his body, he completed his studies to be a doctor. He lived in London and in Latin America and finally took up his practice in adolescent medicine in San Francisco. It was a field that he helped to pioneer. As a physician, Todd had a very clear understanding of the progression of the disease and the timing of the breakthroughs in treatment and his chances for survival. He was a pragmatic man. And when it became clear that he had a limited time left as a person with an active, creative life, rather than face the denouement of his vitality, Todd decided he would commit suicide. So as he told the story... One beautiful evening, he loaded the vacuum cleaner extension hose and a clamp into his car, and he headed over the Golden Gate Bridge into Marin County. It was his intention to flood the interior of the car with exhaust, and so end the struggle. Have you all been to the Marin side of the Golden Gate Bridge so you can envision that incredible view out over the San Francisco Bay and you see the Pacific on the other side? So he found a secluded place to park on the headlands overlooking the bay and he got out of the car and he attempted to fit the vacuum hose onto the tailpipe. Todd was a very intelligent and gifted man, but mechanical skills were not among his talents. And he couldn't figure out how to attach the hose onto the exhaust pipe. After about a half an hour of trying to jigger this hose onto the exhaust pipe, he realized that solving this problem had become more important to him than offing himself. The threat of death had been so easily, if momentarily, displaced by the tension of this absurd situation. So he began to laugh at his own ineptitude. He loaded the hose back in the trunk, drove home, and faced the music. Todd outlived his own expectations, as it turned out. And for almost two more years, he experienced a genuinely enjoyable life. Looking forward, never regretting the path laughter had opened up for him in the deepest darkness. It's written in our chalice lighting there, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly, a saying by a great humorist G.K. Chesterton And I trust that Todd got issued a pair of easy-to-work wings when he passed on. In this life, he shared the powerful, uplifting grace of mirth. The light in his spirit dispersed the tension of impending death. And in order to honor him, I sometimes feel that I can try to do no less. I imagine many of you have memories of loved ones whose inspiration and even humor leads you to get rid of the heavy weight of the ego's sorrows and fears. And that that memory may help you to take yourself more lightly too. In Only Joking, Carr and Greaves cite the work of neuroscientist V.S. Ramachandran, Ramachandran identified a laughter circuit in the brain, a network deep in the limbic system, the seat of our emotions, which fires up when we find something funny. His research demonstrates that the neural pathways for pain, fear, and laughter are intimately connected. Ramachandran's theory is truly amazing. Pain, fear, and laughter are next door neighbors in the workings of our brains. That's pretty amazing isn't it? Whenever pain and fear are present laughter is just a circuit away just a breath away. It seems to me that a deliberate intentional practiced remembrance of humor may also immunize us against egotism polish our hearts, and school us in the essentials of faith. Our innate ability to breathe into a smile and find amusement in even the most serious of circumstances can be nurtured. We can learn how to see humor. Robert Darden, in his book, Jesus Laughed, The Redemptive Power of Humor, quotes a story from Herb Gardner's play, A Thousand Clowns. Have you all seen A Thousand Clowns? It's a beautiful play. The play follows the misadventures of the gifted writer named Murray, who is again unemployed as he rebels against society's artificial norms. He has become, quite by accident, the guardian of his 12-year-old nephew, Norman and they are now fast friends, but Murray's bohemian lifestyle draws the attention of Child Protective Services and a social worker comes to take the boy away. At first, Murray is worried that if they're separated the kid will someday become a list maker. Murray. I didn't spend six years with him so he should turn into a list maker. He'll learn to know everything before it happens. He'll learn to plan. He'll learn how to be one of the nice dead people. Murray is really warming up now, and the social worker is mesmerized. Murray, I just want him to stay with me till I can be sure he won't turn into Norman nothing. I want to be sure he'll know when he's chickening out on himself. I want him to get to know exactly the special thing he is, or else he won't notice when it starts to go. By now, Murray is almost talking to himself, sadly, softly. I'll be very sorry to see him go. That kid was the best straight man I ever had. (laughs) He is a laugher, and laughers are rare. I mean, you tell that kid something funny, not just any piece of corn, but something funny, and he'll give you your money's worth. It's not just funny jokes he reads or I tell him that he laughs at. Not just set up funny stuff. He sees street jokes. He has the good eye. He sees subway farce and crosstown bus humor and all the cartoons that people make by being alive. He has a good eye. And I don't want him to leave until I'm certain he'll never be ashamed of it. We need unashamed, affirming folks with a good eye for humor in these times. We all know about the vast to-do list confronting our nation and our planet and this congregation, I imagine. We know it's time to put away childish things and get down to work. But humor is not a distraction from the task. It is the lightness which relieves the tension, reminds us that we are not all-knowing or all-important, diffuses anger, and detaches us from outcomes while providing new perspectives. It keeps the fear of death and the growing pains at bay. May we be restored by a saving grace of humor. Amen. Amen. Now's the time for the offering. And uh, Reverend Kendra, I ask that I try to think of something funny to say (laughs) to introduce introduce this. So um, I do have a couple of jokes, but... (laughs) You know, I'm I get nervous when people tell jokes because I know I'm I'm supposed to laugh at the end of them and I you know, what if it's not funny? So I'm just gonna say it is truly a pleasure to hear your laughter this morning and I hope you will give from deep in your hearts.
0: And there are candles available three places. <laughs> right. Right here. Light one for a memory, a celebration Something that makes you laugh.
1: thank you for your generosity of light as well let us say together that unison benediction found in your order go in peace speak truth give thanks each day respect the earth and all creatures for they are alive like you care for your body it is a wondrous gift Be gentle with yourself, live simply, be of service, be guided by your faith and not your fear, go lightly on your way, walk in a sacred manner.